Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 336. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you for taking some time to join me today. As always, it hasn't changed. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. And I have been your host here now for a long, long time here on the Pre-Med Years. If you are new here, thank you for taking some time to join me today. You have a lot of episodes that you can go catch up on if you haven't already. Today's episode is going to be very, very helpful for you as you prepare for your MCATs. And I think it will even help in your pre-med courses and eventually when you get to medical school as well. We have Phil, who is a master level tutor at Next Step Test Prep. He is also the man in charge. When you go to the MCAT course, you you buy the Next Step MCAT course and you go to office hours, which are 10 hours a week that you have access to office hours. He is the man that hangs out and answers all of your questions during those office hours as well. And I brought Phil on to talk about how to master the psych soch section of the MCAT. Phil, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Great to be here. I'm excited for today because I think our conversation is going to help a ton of students with their MCAT prep and, and potentially their core science coursework as well as we talk about some memorization and psych soch and so much more. Yeah. And not only that, I, you know, a lot of the things that I'm thinking about and doing about when I'm talking with students uh, about MCAT prep, there's a little bit of forward thinking there stuff as well. Things that hopefully will help in med school as well. Because I mean, obviously, you know, but there's, there's, that's pretty much the meat and bones of med school. It's just like this giant pile of stuff <laughs> that must be memorized. Yes, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, let's, let's start with who you are and how you ended up being a, a top MCAT tutor at Next Step Test Prep. Yeah, so I uh, I went to the University of Nebraska Med Center as an MD PhD student. Uh, I was doing my PhD in neuroscience. Technically, it was pharmacology and experimental neuroscience, but I was pretty pretty minor on the pharmacology side. There, <laughs> I was pretty heavy on the neuro. Um, but yeah, and so I've obviously been through the process itself. I actually attribute my MCAT score to a big part of that. Um, to kind of like getting into the the school that I wanted to, and you know this 
kind of like difficult to get into program. What'd you get um, on the MCAT? Uh, so I took the old MCAT. So okay. it was a little bit of, obviously a lot of students today are going to be like, what? That's yeah. like, he's like 500 <laughs> points below what he should be. Um, but yeah, so I got a 38 on okay. my old MCAT. So solid. Uh, yeah, solid. But like in the, the recent stuff, I took the new MCAT, uh, scored a 524 on that one. That's decent. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm actually one of the guys that helped, uh, kind of hopped on at next step test prep, helped write and edit a lot of the content, um, kind of putting all of that stuff together in, uh, teaching, running office hours, kind of like all over the place, just for yeah. next step talking about, talking about learning. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really the thing I'm most passionate about is the teaching side of things. So you're no longer in your MD PhD program. No, no. I actually uh, left in the second year of med school, um, did some some research over the summers and, you know, kind of like toyed around with this. Uh, it was kind of an interesting pathway. But the reason I went to med school is I wanted to be an instructor um, and teach at a med school. But then like through interacting with people, you start to understand that like all of my med school professors teaching was five percent of their job at most. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was doing kind of, you know, the clinical side or the research side. and you know, as much as I like reading and talking about research, the performing of it is a little bit less exciting for me. Uh, I'm more into sharing knowledge, uh, just generally speaking. So um, I had kind of a, a like a family illness. So I took a leave of absence from med school um, in order to be around family. And that's when I got contacted by John. And next up, you know him pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started kind of working together there. And I got, had the opportunity to go back. And I'm I just say like, why I'm, uh, I'm doing what I love doing. Um, and so I, I didn't know that the MD PhD path was going to put me more in touch with yeah. what I wanted to be doing in life versus yeah. I was already doing. Yeah. What was that conversation like with the, the medical school? Be like, ah, see you later guys. Never coming yeah, back. They like, obviously that is their worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, and this is something that I talk about with, with students that are wanting to go to med school um, their worst nightmare is they accept somebody and that person doesn't decides they don't want to be a physician. Obviously, you know, the, the spot I was in probably could have gone to someone else. And that's a big, a, a big issue, not just for the med school, but for the other people. Um, and so I actually advocate hugely that every student that, you know, takes the MCAT, obviously clinical experience is really big in you know, the application process. But I think that's the reason why med yeah. schools want to know that when students come to the med school, they're doing it because they want to be a teacher or they, they want to like be a practicing physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just, you know, they watch scrubs. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's why they want to do it. I want to be the next big dreamy. Yes. I want to be, I want to be Dr. House. Yes. And, uh, That'll work. Yeah. So you and I met at the AMSA conference and we had a good discussion and you're like, I think I could come on the podcast and talk about psych soch because about 20% of my private MCAT students are getting perfect scores on psych soch. So I want to dive into that in a minute, but I, I first want to talk about this kind of whole memorization and and trying to learn stuff because as you talked about in medical school, like your goal is to learn a lot of stuff and you've done some research around this. So let's talk about how students can learn better. Yeah. And so this is one of the things I like, I really love to talk about. So your brain is very good at learning certain things. 
Um, I like to like the analogy is that it's the world's best screwdriver. It's like really, really good at very specific tasks. Um, like if you think about, you know, like which direction do I need to turn as I leave my house to get to the nearest gas station? Um, my chemistry professor, they have a mustache or not. Um, all of these things are things you never sat down and tried to memorize, right? Like, but you, you, you just sort of like internalize these things. Like there's never no flashcards involved with like, what are the faces of my instructors, right? But you just kind of like inherently pull that in. Um, I think the reason for that is just kind of like biologically, evolutionarily speaking, it's really important to know certain things, um, like recognize faces, um, be able to navigate to and from food, um, kind of like things like that. Social interactions, I think gossip, we're actually like kind of hardwired to learn gossip because <laughs> understanding the social interactions, if I'm a caveman and I'm kind of attracted to Sally, it's important for me to understand and recognize that Sally's brother, Oog, is very strong and very protective. <laughs> Why right? does Sally so, have a normal name, but then there's Oog? I, I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. It's, it's, her parents were very progressive. Okay. So they, they called her Sally. Um, but yeah, just the idea there of like that social interaction. So we're kind of hardwired to learn gossip. It's very frustrating that like if you walk to class and you overhear some gossip about, you know, like, I can't believe Fred stole Bill's TV. You know, I mean, yeah, he was like sleeping with his girlfriend, but still and, like, <laughs> you like you remember that. And then you go and sit down in class and they're like trying to show you this equation that you need to internalize. And you just you just like it, it doesn't stick like you would just have to kind of like smash your head into it over and over. <laughs> so the idea is that like you kind of want to hack and hijack the way that your brain naturally wants to learn. Um, with kind of the screwdriver analogy, your, your brain is very good at certain things. Um, and so like obviously driving a screw is what a screwdriver is designed to do. Now you can use a screwdriver as a hammer. It's not very efficient, right? Like you want to build a shelf you can kind of like knock together some nails. You're probably going to miss a little bit. It's not going to look as well. If you're like me, you'll probably hit your fingers a couple of times. So it's <laughs> going to be painful and not efficient. Um, and that, that works. You, you can build the shelf that way. Um, but all of a sudden when you start to reach like bigger tasks, right? Like instead of building a shelf, now you have to build a house. All of a sudden it's like screwdriver as a hammer tool is not going to work. So I noticed that a lot of times students are, are using their brain as a hammer. They're using it, uh, in an inefficient way. Um, they're just smashing their head, their brain into a pile of equations. And that'll work if it's a small enough task. It's not efficient. There's better ways to do it, but it, it works. And so as students are studying for like a physics course, um, yeah, they've got an exam over like three chapters. It's like just projectile motion and Newtonian physics. Um, and so as you're smashing your, your brain into this pile of equations, it doesn't want to learn it, but with enough time and effort, eventually it'll pick it up. But then you start to deal with bigger things like MCAT, med school, like all of these tasks, like you start to reach a situation where the, the amount of time you have to input into this is in order to like use the brain as a hammer, it just doesn't, doesn't work. Like that's the limiting react, uh, reactant in that, that situation. And so and a lot of times, like that's, that's what I'm doing with my students, especially in psych, as you mentioned, I do uh, all of the office hours for next step. Um, anybody who buys our course gets like 10 hours a week with me and just kind of like talking and chatting about whatever it is that they have concerns about. But I also do private tutoring and 20% of my tutoring students in the last year have gotten a perfect score in psych. And I think it's because psych is so much about just kind of like this vocab recognition. Mm -hmm. um, what's the difference between social constructionism, social interactionism, and symbolic interactionism? 
or schizoid personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, schizophreniform disorders, and schizoid uh, or paranoid schizophrenia, yeah. right? And like all of those things sound very similar. And so if you're just kind of like like doing flashcards and just trying to smack your your brain into that to just like try to pick it up. Um, it gets difficult just given the volume. And so I've taken some different kind of approaches um, based off of that. And it's been very successful. My first student was a little bit of an experiment. Um, <laughs> they came in, they're like, all right, all I want, all I, all I need to work on is psych. Like I'm good on everything else. And I'm like, all right, we've got a month. Let's put some time into it. And so they went from a, we started off at like a 124 um, on the practice test, the AAMC stuff, we were getting like 130, 131. And then on practice day was, or the actual exam day was the, the day that she got the perfect score. And nice. since then, I've been doing that strategy with pretty much everyone. All right. Well, let's uh, let's start off kind of the basics. So for a student who hasn't dug in to the MCAT yet, let's talk about psychosoc. It's the the newest section of the MCAT. What what is the double AMC hoping to test for with the psycho section? Well, there's actually a lot of neuro on there. There's a lot of obviously, you know, like disorders and Korsakoff syndrome and all these things that are actually like a, a student needs to know at some point. Um, but to be honest, there's a lot of stuff that you need to know at some point in med school. And so like, why, why is psychology the one thing that we kind of want to zero in on there? Um, there's also a fair amount of stuff in there that I think is important with like understanding like influences, like groupthink and things like that, where it's, I actually think that that's something that they want to test and they want to make sure students are aware and not likely to get swayed by peer pressure or act unethically. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's some things going in, uh, with that as well, but mostly I think it's, if med schools want to figure out who's going to do well in med school, they need to figure out who's going to do well with too much information. And so, I mean, just when you think about the, it and compare it to any other exam, the LSAT, the GRE, the DAT, I think the MCAT is by far the largest scope. Everything from, you know, fluid dynamics to Korsakoff's syndrome to Kohlberg's stages of moral reasoning, right? That's like very broad from like very hard sciences to some kind of fluffier sociological stuff. Um, and so I think just just adding more content. They're just trying to test and see who can deal with too much information. Because if you can deal with that, then you can deal with med school and you can be a good doctor. Um, so I think that the general idea behind that. But And for the student getting ready to to take the MCAT or planning out all of their courses, one, one of the questions that always comes up is, do I need to have the the prereqs of psych and soch to do well on the psych soch section? What What is your answer typically for that? Um... It depends. I think that's one of the the, the courses that isn't as tightly regulated. Um, that at least this is, you know, some some conjecture in some schools may be perfectly fine. Some schools, like it might not help that much. Um, I think if you take organic chemistry at any university, at any major university, you're going to be getting all, a lot of the same stuff across there. You're going to be like, you know, SN1, SN2, Deals alder, RNS, like an antimer diastereomer stuff, you're going to be good on that. But I think that with a lot of the psychology, sociology stuff, it can be a little bit um, kind of like fluctuating, uh, like what one course does versus another. I actually recommend if a student really wants to like help with their psych social things, um, I actually recommend neuro. 
taking a neuro course because there's lots of things about the regions of the brain and memory and how sensation and sensation work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've actually found that like if I'm going to recommend something for a, some class for a student to take to get better <laughs> at the uh, psych so should actually be neuro. That's, neuro. Which is completely like off the wall. It's like, hey, how do I do better on the psychology and sociology section? Mm-hmm. Take neuro. <laughs> yeah, take neuro. Yeah, I actually, that's one of my things. I just like really re- like to recommend students do that. And it's not just because I'm super... Like, I obviously love neuro. Yeah, a little biased there. Yeah, a little biased. But like neuro's tested all over in the phys, the chem phys section with all the physics things, with like voltages, mm-hmm. you know, with, with understanding sensation, there's like optics and light. And so like how the eye works. Um, and so I think neuro actually is probably the highest yield of all the biological systems on the MCAT because it shows up in the bio, the chem phys, and the, all over in the psych. So what would that course call be? What would that course be? be called at a university is it just like a neuroscience 101 kind of course what is that probably probably i I took a course at my undergrad that was actually a kind of a dual enrollment like it was a master's and undergraduate uh just like neuroscience course Um, and i I, it was remarkably looking back like i don't think it was as helpful for me with the old mcat but looking at what what's on the new mcat i think that that course would have been very useful if i'd been taking the new mcat when i first went to med school okay um, so, so the actual courses of psychology, sociology, probably not needed something that, that students can teach themselves because it's, as we were talking about earlier, it's just a lot of memorization and you, you don't need a course for that. Right, right. You do need to have some strategies and some kind of plans to go through this. It's actually really disconcerting in a way, if you think about it, that like you spend so much time on like your bio and chem courses for like required courses for undergrad and so little on psych, but psych is the second highest yield content area on the test. The The first highest is bio and biochem. Mm-hmm. One out of every three questions is a bio question on the MCAT. Wow. And that's including the card section. One out of every three questions is a bio question. Wow. Obviously, there aren't any bio questions in the cards, but like <laughs> added up across. The yeah. next highest yield is psych by a pretty large margin. Um, after psych, the next highest yield is like chemistry and physics. And you actually have more psych questions than you have chemistry and physics combined. So it's a pretty big jump there for that. There's tons of students that are constantly like, you know, like they'll spend like three weeks studying organic chemistry and two weeks studying physics because those were the scary courses for them mm-hmm. in undergrad. And so they're like, these are the things they're worried about just from like experience of where they've been traumatized in undergrad. And they spend very little time on psych. Um, but or organic chemistry is less than 5% of the test. Wow. And I actually think that organic chemistry on the MCAT is actually it's the one area that's easier on the MCAT than it is an undergrad. Um, but you know, you can't really say that about any of the other sections, but mm-hmm. you know, I would say that the time you spend on orgo should be very minimal compared to the time you spend on psych and yeah. bio, just because they're very high yield. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about a student who is cracking open their books, getting ready to start prepping for the MCAT. Where should she start with the psych section? Yeah. So what I've been doing with my students, the kind of like strategy of, of going through this is um, just going straight to the AAMC. The AAMC has their outline for all the sections. Uh, to be completely honest, the, the stuff on the chemistry and physics is not as useful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like they'll, they'll say like, Hey, you need to know magnetism. And as a student, you're like, yeah, I, I know that. But like, <laughs> what else? Right. 
Um, but when you get to the, the psych social section, it's, it's very granular. They like break it down. It's kind of surprising too. Like the, they'll have like Korsakoff syndrome on there, which is a thymine deficiency. And that's like a very specific thing, but it's on the AAMC outline for psych. And so it's something that they will hold students accountable for. Um, so I really recommend students to kind of like go through that and, um, just kind of like one by one. That's, that's all I've been doing with my students that have been getting perfect scores in psych is going through this AAMC outline. Um, I want to like throw a word of caution though. A lot of students are doing this. Um, so like you're here like about, you know, the big psych documents that are out there. Some of them are like 300 pages and you can download those and just kind of like flip through them. The problem with that is that it's very passive learning and that you are reading something that someone else has put together. Um, and with my students, that that just hasn't gone as well. And that just kind of makes sense from what I understand in undergrad and med school. Um, and so what I've been doing with my students, rather than have them kind of like go through and like read definitions and read books, I've been like tasking them to like, all right, let's go through 6A, which is all of the sensation um, and perception stuff. And I want you to describe in your own words every single one of these terms. Um, and once a student can describe it in their own language, that that encodes differently in the brain. Um, it's like using different regions of the brain, and that sticks a whole lot better than if you just read something in a book. I'm sure everyone has, you know, had a like a reading assignment. They like read a paragraph and then they like forgot it, right? Like sometimes immediately. Sometimes I'll forget a paragraph like after I finish the paragraph. I'm like I don't re remember what I just read. Mm -hmm. But um, even beyond that, the the idea of being able to hold on to some information for like four or five months or like a year, that's that's very difficult. Um, and if you're just reading something that somebody wrote and somebody else kind of put together, that kind of doesn't doesn't work as well. And so, um, like I said, I've been going through with my students, having them define in their own words, also paying a lot of attention and trying to anticipate, like if, like for example, if um, schizoid personality disorder is a is the correct answer, what would you expect the other incorrect answers to be. And so schizoid personality disorder is a disorder where people just don't have any interest in interacting with others. It's not that they hate other people. It's just they don't have this drive to interact with other people. It's kind of like if I- They're ask, introverts. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like something. Yeah, it's like introverts. Yeah, obviously, evidently, that's a uh, psychological disorder. At this point. But um, the DSM-5. Um, but- like, it's like if you ask somebody to like, you know, do you get up and put socks on your hand and then take the socks off your hands and put them in your drawer and go about your day? And the answer is like, no. And you ask them why they don't do that. And they're like, why would I? And that's how a uh, schizoid personality disorder feels about relationships and interacting with other people. They just like don't see the point. Um, and so there's lots of other personality disorders that students might get confused with that. So if they say like somebody who's not interested in socializing, somebody might want to pick but antisocial personality disorder, mm -hmm. right? Like 90% of students are going to pick that if they don't, if they're not aware of the differences of these things, mm -hmm. or they'll pick avoidant personality disorder. And all of those are terms that the MCAT is like holding students accountable. They're all on that AAMC list. Um, and so you want to make sure that you can kind of like dive in and pull those apart. Anything on that list is something that this, like the AAMC holds you accountable for. They're going to expect you to have this set of information. That doesn't mean that's all they're ever going to ask about. They can like give you new information in a passage and ask you something about that.
but and you just have to kind of like figure it out from the data or what's going on and like at paragraph three. Um, but like when it comes to the knowledge that you're expected to have, it's just evidently just sticking to that AAMC outline. I say evidently because that's all I've been doing with my students and yeah. they've been killing it. Yeah. Um, so so it, it almost sounds like you're talking about the the phenomenon. It's not really a phenomenon, but the 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 knowledge that the best way to learn something and know that you've learned it is to teach other people it. And it's, so it sounds like by having your students put into their own words what each of these things are, you're basically saying, hey, like sit at your dining room table and teach it to your stuffed animal. Right, right. I actually have a student that has done, not with a stuffed animal, but they had a post-it note and they like, <laughs> drew a face on it, like stuck it on the wall. So like, I, I actually also, this is really funny talking about like teaching to other people. Um, I was actually talking to a student who got a perfect score on the MCAT recently. And I was talking like to overall like, perfect score, not yeah, just on that one section, score. like perfect, wow. perfect score. Okay. Um, and so it was like really exciting because that's like, you know, a diamond that I found on the sidewalk. <laughs> right. Um, and so I was talking to him like, how, how did you deal with this? And he's like, I basically pretended that I had to teach all of it. Yep. And so I just went through and like kind of made lesson plans of like how I would explain this from one person to another. And that's really just kind of tapping into that way that the brain wants to learn, you know, things that it thinks it's going to use in the future, things that it thinks it will find useful. Um, and so like that, that massively increases encoding of memories. Um, and so it's just kind of an interesting phenomena there. I was actually just talking to one of my other friends uh, as I was in Philly for a conference two days ago. Um, one of my friends is in residency there. He's an MD, PhD as well. And we were talking about how learning styles had to change when you went to med school just because the mm -hmm. volume changed. And so instead of just trying to memorize something, it's all about kind of like stories. And you're like, you know, in your mind, you imagine this person who has this disease and you treated them and then you screwed up and now you're going to remember this forever. Nothing yeah. actually happened to anybody, but like in your mind, there's this like traumatic thing like, oh my gosh, I really need to know the difference between hypovolemia and hypernatremia mm -hmm. um, and just kind of like focusing in on those sorts of things. And that's really the best way to kind of hold on to information forever um, rather than just read some definition that somebody else put down. So do you see any utility in flashcards for PsychSoch or it, because it's more just writing it down, you, you prefer, is there, is there a difference between writing it down versus saying it out loud, I guess? I think both writing it down and saying it out loud are better than just neither. Reading. Yeah, yeah. Better than just reading. It's much more active. Um, I think there, there's actually been some some research showing that handwriting stuff tends to increase encoding better than typing, yep. um, which is kind of interesting for those of you who like to type your notes. Um, I like to type my notes because I have horrible handwriting, which is how <laughs> you know that I went to med school. Um, but yeah, so I think there is some stuff with that. I would say that the one region of the test that I actually kind of encourage flashcards is is when it's just kind of when you're trying to memorize just like little vocab things, little like just like terms or definitions. And I think that there's a lot of that in psychosoc. There's also like amino acids. I think flashcards can be really useful for that. Yeah. Um, I do not think they're useful for uh, like equations. Like if you're trying to memorize your equations, I think that's probably one of the number one errors that students make when dealing with trying to memorize physics. Um, they just like want to do flashcards because flashcards worked for other things. Yeah. Right. And so like if something worked for one thing, you kind of want to apply that everywhere across mm -hmm. the board. Um, but like if you're trying to memorize your kinematic equations, 
common scenario students kind of struggle with because just piles of letters and numbers and your brain isn't interested in that. It's interested in remembering the fact that there are um, chicken nuggets at the gas station down the street. I don't know why I, I remember this. I never tried to, I don't not, I don't care, <laughs> but like I'm trying to get my brain to hold on to this like pile of, of letters and numbers. Um, so like I often am like talking to my brain as if it's like this, this third person here. Um, but the idea is like, come on brain, like pick this up, like, please hold on to this, forget the chicken nuggets, latch on to this instead. Uh, my brain just doesn't find it interesting. Um, yeah. and, and so instead of just trying to memorize like a pile of equations, it's really important to do questions. Um, if you can do four or five questions using one specific, uh, equation, your brain will hold on to that. Uh, your brain will like see that like, oh wait, this was useful. I will remember this thing. Cause when you finish the question, you get this dopamine rush and there's the reward pathway in your brain and your brain's like, Oh, whatever that was, was useful and good. I should hold on to that so that I can have this dopamine rush again in the future. And so you get this kind of like, like dealing with the brain, um, kind of like in a neuroscience way. So like, if you just like do four or five questions and eventually your brain will remember that equation without trying to, mm -hmm. because it was a useful tool to it rather than just something that is useless and just kind of like sitting there. So we uh, can, we can talk about flashcards and most students will automatically go, Oh, okay. Flashcards. I'll download the app and then I'll go get a pre-made set of flashcards and work through them. What's, yeah. what's your response to that? That is nowhere near as useful as making flashcards yourself. But that takes so much time. It does take time. It does. <laughs> it really does. And that's that's one of the things, though. But like, you know, you can go through a stack of flashcards that somebody else put together um, and you'll never remember that. Like, even if you go through it like four or five times, you'll never remember that as well as the flashcards that you wrote. And so maybe, yeah, like the initial go through is going to take way longer. But overall, it's going to take less time. Um, that's actually something that I struggled with when I first went to med school. Um, I was, I was, I was doing a lot of this like reading and rereading like of the book and watching the lectures and rewatching the lectures. And like, I was using flashcards that, you know, had been passed down through the generations of the, of the med school. And, you know, like somebody's, you know, brother was an upperclassman and just kind of like everything gets kind of passed down. We had a Dropbox folder of just like study aids for the entire class. Um, and it was, it was kind of struggling. Like, I'll be honest, I was, you know, spending eight hours a day studying like outside of, of class and, you know, outside of class, you add in like, Hey, I need to sleep. And all of a sudden, like, that's all the hours of the day. Like there's no more time I can add to this. Um, and I was actually talking to my PI, uh, for the research stuff that I did was doing. And I'm like, ah, I'm kind of struggling with just kind of like holding on to all this information. And he was asking me, it's like, so what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm reading the, the notes and reading the books and I'm, um, you know, rewatching the lectures and I'm using these flashcards that these people kind of put together. And he just like laughed. He's like, well, of course that's not going to work. Right. Like you should know better. Like you're, <laughs> you're doing neuroscience stuff. He's like, you gotta be an active learner instead. And so I switched. And instead of this was an anatomy and physiology, which is a lot of just memorizing piles of things. Um, and so instead of, uh, using flashcards that someone else put together, I made my own flashcards and I drew diagrams and all of a sudden I'm studying half as much, but I'm remembering twice as much. And so I'm doing way better. And now all of a sudden I have time to do my own laundry and to, to go for a walk with my dog. Um, versus before I was really kind of like struggling to just find the time to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just the, the active versus passive learning. Um, passive is easier. 
it's it's much nicer to be like i'll just flip through these flashcards as i'm watching netflix at home. <laughs> that that that's not gonna work yeah. um, it's not gonna cut it okay um i made like the amount of flashcards i made in anatomy were probably measured in feet i think it was like seven or eight feet of like mash or of flashcards um and i actually wouldn't make the flashcard and then i ended up never looking at it again um so it kind of seems like a waste but the act of ma- making the flashcard was actually the most important part yeah. of that kind of memorization yeah so you talked about these potential definitions and words like you mentioned uh schizoid personality disorder and then there's schizophrenia and schizotypal for a mm-hmm. student who can easily get confused trying to differentiate between all of those do you have any sort of tips for for those words that closely mimic each other yeah so first off pay attention to that notice this um uh, like that's, that is a huge, I, I, I think it's actually a really great thing for a student to be like, Hey, these are confusing. Um, like bells should be going off in your head, telling you that this is the way the MCAT is going to ask me this. And so this is important, right? Like they're not going to ask you, right? Like, like if they gave you a question, like what's paranoid personality disorder, right? Like you could probably pick that out without, without knowing anything. Right. And so they're going to have to ask you stuff that is confusing. So recognizing that is actually a great thing to be like, this is confusing. Another example in bio is like ADH and aldosterone. People always get those mixed up because they both raise your blood pressure. They both start with A. They both affect the kidneys. They're just kind of confusing. Um, But if you ever get a question about ADH, you can bet aldosterone is going to be a wrong answer choice. And so you need to like zero in on what's the difference between these two. Um, So those like, you know, the, the definitions of the personality disorders and things like that. Um, you know, I kind of like poo-pooed the like paranoid uh, personality disorder, but I think it's really easy to get that confused with paranoid schizophrenia, um, which is another psych term that you need to have down. Um, and so I think the best way to do this is, like I said, stories, dealing with stories. So the difference between like, so if I want to zero in on the difference between those, um, paranoid schizophrenia is going to have delusions. Paranoid personality disorder is going to be based in kind of real life. Um, and like a non-delusional state, but still being paranoid. So like someone with paranoid um, schizophrenia, they're going to see their their neighbor walking down the street and they're going to look out there and the neighbor keeps looking towards the house. And so so I know I know he's working for the Russians, which we all know are working for the mole people because they're really the ones running the show. <laughs> and like that's that's obviously a little bit delusional. Right. And so like imagine this, you know, this mole people sort of thing watching me. Um, versus paranoid uh, personality disorder. That's someone who's just a little bit paranoid about normal, like non-delusional things. Uh, I actually have a friend who's a pathologist um, and uh, he just had his first child uh, like three months ago and we went to a wedding and he brought his kid to the wedding and he would not let anybody hold the kid because he's like, he's a pathologist. So he's like constantly thinking about all the diseases people are carrying (laughs) around on their skin and like, Everyone in the room is basically a physician. And so it's obviously like they are, um, you know, like, like obviously they're taking care of themselves and probably vaccinated and all this stuff. And he's like, no, I'm like, I, I'm not letting anybody else um, <laughs> hold my kid. And like, that's, there's some paranoia there, but it's not necessarily delusional because diseases do exist. He's just being a little unrealistic. Um, I'm, I'm wondering now if he'll hear me say this and he'll know that I'm talking about him. Um but yeah, so like having those stories about like, you know, my friend who doesn't want anyone else to hold his baby versus the person who's worried about the mole people, um, like that'll stick in your brain. 
and that'll yeah. that'll stick with you long term versus just like reading a definition in a book. Okay. What else about the psych social section have we not talked about that you think is useful for students? Um, you know, I've been hearing a lot of of students kind of come up and say that like you know, like I've I've been hearing that the psych social is a lot of application and it's not as much just like straight vocab and memorization. And they're absolutely right. The MCAT just kind of across the board is much more application than memorization. Um, But you still need to have the concept underlying it memorized. Um, So here's a common example of like something when I ask, uh, give a student like how the MCAT likes to ask questions. So um, let's say it's a, we'll do a physics thing because everyone hates physics. And so we can, (laughs) we can hit that nerve for everyone where they'll remember it because they have a physiological reaction to it. Um, like, let's say that you have a passage and the passage is trying to ask you about capacitors. They're not going to ask you like, which of these capacitors is strongest, What they're going to ask you instead is they'll have some kind of setup of, uh, like the membrane of a neuron can act as a capacitor with charges built up on either side, switching oleic acid for linoleic acid will do what to the capacitance of that membrane. And I can guarantee you, nobody has studied this, right? Like that's, that's something no one has seen. But if you understand that when the two plates of a capacitor get closer together, the capacitance goes up. So if I have a membrane and I switch out large fatty acids for smaller fatty acids, that brings the charges close to each other. And so that increases the capacitance. And so that question is, in order to answer that, you need to understand how distance affects a capacitor, the distance between plates. You need to have that memorized. You need to have this equation known. If you know that equation, there's still a lot of students that are going to miss that question because they're not going to know what to do and how to deal with it. So it's kind of this like, two like there, there's like kind of two sides to it so i think you know telling students like memorization is is crucial to this i think that that is true memorization is not all of it though there is this kind of application side i have a lot of students as they're trying to prep for the mcat they end up kind of focusing entirely on the like the content and they feel like i can't take a practice test until i have mastered the content and that's not i actually think that that's useful or, or not useful going through this. I think it's, it's not a good use um, because a lot of dealing with the MCAT is dealing with data interpretation. How do I pull this passage apart? How do I figure out what they're actually asking me? You can have a lot of students that know a lot of things about capacitors and they see that question and they're all going to miss it because they're not thinking about like how, what's at the core of what's going on here. They're thinking they're going to get tested. Like, do I have this thing memorized? That kind of goes with a lot of undergrad courses. Like if you have a physics course, you know, they're going to ask you a projectile motion question on this test. And so if I have these equation and these three examples memorized, I can do whatever question they'll throw at me. But the MCAT likes to twist things around and kind of like cross borders where it's kind of bio and chemistry and physics all at the same time and psychology and bio with like a lot of the neuro stuff with psych and physics um, with kind of the sensations of like a photon, you know, affecting a rod or a cone. And so you kind of want to um, kind of like be able to look and see the big picture. And I think application is a huge part of that. So it's, so it's not just content, but mm. content is underlying everything. Yeah. Um, it's also one of the things when I have a student come up to me and they say like, you know, like what should I be doing to study? Like my, my response is, well, it depends, right? Like, what are your strong and weak areas? There's some students that just need to be hitting, like, content. There's some students that just need to be hitting practice questions. There's some students that need to hit just specific things, like really abstract philosophical cars passages. And, like, they're fine with the normal human passages, but the weird abstract philosophical ones they're, they're kind of struggling with. 
Um, and there's this common thing I'll hear a lot of the students that says like, oh, I, I heard all I need to do is just take a lot of practice tests. Um, and that actually is, you know, not bad advice for a lot of students. If your problem is timing and endurance and stamina and data interpretation and trying to figure out what the question is even asking and making those connections, then taking lots of practices will help tremendously. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what schizoid personality disorder is, no amount of practice tests is going to help that. Um, and so the content side is also really important. Um, it's where you have to kind of like take things with a grain of salt whenever you hear, like, you know, you see on Reddit or student doctor somewhere and they say like, this is what you do to master the MCAT. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, it kind of depends on where you're starting as well. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. As we wrap up here, let's talk about the next step test prep MCAT course. Now in, in the hangout, our, our Facebook group, students seem to rave about the course. What makes the, the next step course so valuable for students? Yeah. Well, that's like, now you're hitting on some other stuff I really like talking about. Um, so in our course, we have hundreds of hours of videos. Some of those are the core lesson videos. If you buy the course, they're kind of assigned. It's a lot of the strategy side of things, a lot of the really high yield content that we think everyone needs to see. There's also uh, other content review videos. A lot of those I myself did. I kind of like latched on to a lot of the physics one because even though just despite how much I've been talking about psych, I'm really a physics guy at heart. Um, physics is my, my favorite. So I kind of like shoved and pushed on all the other content people to let me do all the fluids and electrostatics and magnetism stuff. Um, so we have hundreds of hours of video there. Some of those videos, the content review stuff, that's designed to be more, um, it's designed to be more for like, if this is your weak area, fluids is your weak area, you should watch these videos. If it's not, then skip it. Um, so we have, we're, we're, our whole course is designed around the idea that every student is a little bit different. I'm actually doing tutoring right now with a student who has a PhD in biochemistry from Oxford. We don't need to talk about metabolism, like at all, <laughs> ever. Um, like she is like lecturing me on metabolism. Um, but when it comes to like the physics and psychology, like we're, we're kind of like making some inroads there. Um, and so understanding that you, you can kind of like focus in on your strengths and weaknesses is a big part of that. Um, and all of the content review videos and lesson videos, we also have quizzes built in kind of pushing this active learning where a student just can't kind of like, you know, turn on the video and then ignore it. Um, so you'll like cover a topic and then you'll see questions about how the MCAT's going to ask about this or, you know, that topic. And so you kind of like get this reinforcement going on with the, the spaced repetition as well, because we'll like have quizzes in your schedule kind of referring to the, you know, the chapter in your book you read last week, and then you'll have an exam on it later. Um, we also have office hours, which is a big portion of what I do. So every week, um, I do at least 10 hours of office hours. We had a week last summer where a lot of students were taking exams and had questions. And so we had 16 hours where students could come in and just like talk to me about whatever questions they might have. Um, I think that's a big portion as well, being able to talk to the people who helped write and edit and put together the course um, and who have been through the process and have gone to medical school and kind of like understand the idea behind the educational um, platform. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that's something you don't really get anywhere else, right? Like, I, I don't know, like any other, you know, course that you can buy and talk to someone who wrote the book, um, who wrote the exams, yeah. um, and having that sort of access there. And I think that when I talk about the MCAT course, it seems to be 
the the thing that I think makes it stand out the most is the office hours. Having access to that many hours of of someone being there answering questions and somebody obviously of your caliber being able to answer questions to to really pick your brain of, about something I'm struggling with is something that sets it apart from uh, it seems like every other kind of self-paced online yeah. course that there is. Yeah, we actually I actually had a student that um, just took his exam uh, like a couple of weeks ago, but he went to every single office hours for five months. And so, I mean, we're talking like, you know, 40 hours a, a month of this. And like, you know, for any like online tutoring, that would be incredibly prohibitive to talk to, you know, mm. cost prohibitive in order to like be able to, you know, spend that much time with someone who just eats, sleeps and breathes MCAT. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Very cool. All right. Well. Is there anything else that a student should know about the course that we haven't talked about? Yeah. Um, so even beyond the course, we do uh, public webinars and things like that. I do like I just did a webinar yesterday, actually on the nature of memory, kind of like what we were talking about today, but with a little bit more kind of specific advice for, you know, how to like, what's the best way to tackle biochem? What's the best way to tackle bio? And it's actually different between the two um, and just some other like uh, study methodologies. Um, and so we do, we have other free stuff. And so I encourage students like, you know, whether or not you go to med school shouldn't be based on how much money you have. Yep. And so, um, so we have our free resources as well. Everyone can download a free full length exam as well as a half length, um, diagnostic exam or science content diagnostic or study planner tool. Like all of those things are free and we want students to have access to those. There's also a forum um, where me and the other members, like the other guys on the content team, we're poking around in there. I'm, I'm in there like twice a week, just making sure that there's no student who doesn't have their question answered, just making sure that everyone is getting their question answered. And it doesn't even have to be about our materials, but questions about the AAMC or the application process. Um, and just kind of like, you know, uh, some advice on interviews, like what should I wear? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just kind of like know that those resources are out there. We have our public webinars and our free stuff as well. Um, we also have our course, which we've talked about and tutoring. So yeah. um, I actually had a bunch of students take the exam in the last couple of weeks. So my tutoring schedule is opening up. Uh, I can tell that it's definitely going to start to get a little bit crazy going forward, though, because it's it's the season for MCAT. So. Yeah. Um, and we'll have links to all of that stuff to the webinars and to the course and to my review of the course. I have a, a video review of the course as well. We'll have links to all that in the show notes so that uh, everyone listening can can take take a look at all of that stuff. So, Phil, thank you for coming on, sharing your wisdom and hopefully creating many more perfect scores on the psych social section of the MCAT. Mm-hmm. No problem. Glad to be here. Glad to, glad to see you again. All right. So there you have it. Hopefully, after listening to this, you will be able to get a perfect score on that psychology and sociology section of the MCAT. Remember, write your own flashcards. Teach what you are trying to learn to a stuffed animal, to a post-it note with a face drawn on it, however you need to do it. Teaching it is the best way possible to learn. If you are interested in more MCAT help, check out Next Step Test Prep's MCAT course. You can view the video review that I did of it at mcatcoursereview.com. Again, that's mcatcoursereview.com. You can also use the promo code MSHQ 
to save $50 off of that course. I hope this was super valuable for you. Please let me know if you used these tips and tricks and it worked well for you and your MCAT. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.